Well, it's good to see you all this morning and to our online families. Well, welcome. I know so many of you have reached out saying how you wish you could be here and you're looking forward to the day when you can be back. We just want you to know we're keeping your seat warm. Eh, or we'll fill it up. But we'll hope to see you very, very soon. And again, to all of you, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here. And if we've not had the chance to meet, I just want you to know how glad we are to get to celebrate Jesus together today. Anyone else glad that Jesus loves you? It's good news, isn't it? Well, hey, listen, we're going to get into some more good news this morning with part four of our Anxious for Nothing series. But before we do, I've got two pieces of news you need to know about. Number one, this past Tuesday night, we saw something awesome right here in our space on Tuesday evening, our very own Michael Chambers. He's the senior high youth minister who also is leading our worship, which just, by the way, Aren't you thankful for people like Michael and our praise team who lead us every week? Don't they do a great job in that? I'm just so glad that we have such kind and good help on that. But this past week, on Tuesday evening, Michael came up here with three young men from Hickson High School. He's a part of a ministry there, and these three young men, uh, through the study of Scripture and interaction with Christ followers, said, we're ready to meet Jesus in the waters of baptism. They do not have homes that are faith homes, but through this ministry, they came to faith. And so on Tuesday night, you and I had three births into our cosmic church family. Is that a good thing that God saved some folks this week? Uh, So that's great news. Appreciate them and Michael and others who do so much. Now, the second thing, just to let you know, next Sunday, We're going to jump into a new teaching series called How We Got Here. After all, that's the question many of us are asking. How did we get here in 2020? How did this all happen? Whether it's a virus, the economy, maybe it's uh, some of the, the social things that are hitting us. How did we get here? And I'll tell you, many people have answers, but I'm going to challenge the answers. In fact, I'm going to say starting next Sunday that many people say the cause of the problem is this, but they're just not going far enough back because if you misdiagnose the problem, how many of us know you can't find a right solution? And so starting next week, we're going to jump into what I think may be the most important series we do over the next 12 months. And I am going to ask you, make a plan to be here. I know some of you may be out of town or other things. You plan then to join us online. Do not miss a week and invite other people to be a part of it because I believe it's going to give us clarity as we go back to the past to figure out our present and move forward into God's preferred future. Okay? So that's next week. But today, grab your Bibles and will you return with me one last time to Philippians chapter 4. Here, here's sort of the setup. Paul the Apostle is writing from a prison cell in Rome to one of his most beloved churches there in Philippi. And he's laying forth some clarity of what it means to experience the fullness of God in the presence of pain and disappointment. Anyone here ever experienced pain or disappointment in their lives? If your hand's not raised, chances are you just haven't lived quite long enough. Because if you do, you're going to experience pain. Can I get an oh yeah? And so Paul's writing to people who know what life is like and how sometimes it's painful. But he's going to lay out for us God's good news in a bad, bad, difficult world. And it's that you and I, although 
many things may try to cause anxiety, he says, I want you to know you can be anxious for nothing. And here's the big word for the day. We've been looking at all sorts of different things, but here's the big word. Are you ready? Here's the word he's going to look at. Any of you ever struggle with contentment? Can I see some hands? Do you know what contentment is? It is the sense that it's all good. Everybody just say, all good. Oh, all good is that, hey, whether raining or shine, whether hungry or full, whether she likes me or she don't like me, I'm content. And I got to tell you, probably the biggest struggle for the 21st century American Christian is the feeling that I love Jesus but all is not good. I am discontent. And Paul's going to roll into something here. So without further ado, let's look one last time. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you are concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, before I move on, real quick, Paul is writing from prison. Now, the way it worked is in the ancient world, if you were a prisoner, eh, the prison system, let's just say, was not up to American standards. They did not provide all of your physical needs, the food, the clothing, the warmth, the shelter. It was a pit with a gate and someone who would guard you. That was about it. So if you were to be taken care of, it was... Because people who knew you on the outside would bring gifts to you. And so Paul writes to this little church in Philippi that was very poor. Hear me now. They had very little, yet they shared what they had. They sent it to Paul. And Paul is writing this letter in great part to say, thank you. Thank you. And so he's over the next few verses going to express to them his thanksgiving. But before he goes further in that, he needs to do some clarification. And notice what he says. I'm not saying this about rejoicing in the Lord that he's given this content through you, but he says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned. Everybody say, learned. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned. Say the word learned. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. By the way, if you could figure out one secret, how many of us know we'd want to know the secret of contentment? Boy, to never see a commercial and go, my life would be better only if I had that. He says, I'm going to teach you the secret of contentment. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, Living in plenty or in want, for I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Father God, we thank you that in this text you're revealing to us the secret many of us have waited a lifetime to understand. And I pray that as we hear your word, that you would change our hearts. Lord, I'm begging you, please don't allow any of us to leave this room without being changed. And I pray that you will confront us with the good news that there is such a thing as contentment. But it comes from a source that we may not always lean into. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would have us hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the whole church said, amen, amen. amen. Now, let's just start at the beginning. Remember first... 
The people who are reading this passage, they understood what Paul had been through. Do you remember some of the things Paul had been through, church? Uh, He talks about things that he has experienced. He says, you know, I've been through a lot. I have been abused. I have been whipped. I've been beaten. He says, I have been shipwrecked. I have been attacked by people left for dead. In fact, I am writing you from a prison cell now. He is saying, I have learned the secret of contentment, but I have earned the right to speak. In other words, he's not writing from the lap of luxury. He's writing from the pit of pain. So whatever he says has greater weight because he knows what he's talking about. It's sort of like people who have never had children and they want to give you advice on how to be a parent. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Just give me a little wink. Or people who have never been in a relationship and yet they think they know all there is to know about relationship. Or people who have never experienced the difficulty of aging parents and yet they want to tell you how to care for your parents. Or people who have never lost a job who want to give advice about how to experience and walk through losing a job. It is because Paul has been through so much that he has now earned the right to speak. And what he says, boy, I need to hear. Maybe you do as well. And he says this, he uses such an interesting phrase. Did you notice the phrase, the word he used? He says, I have learned the secret. This word, the secret, it is used rarely in Scripture, but it is used to describe secret societies with secret handshakes, secret uh, uh, initiations, code words. In fact, some of you were a part of a fraternity or a a sorority in college, And you most likely had some sort of initiation or way of identifying with others within the club. For instance, someone comes up to you and says, I too am a part of the fraternity. But at this other school, that person would have to demonstrate their knowledge for you to know, yes, they really are a part of the same club. Maybe it was a handshake. Maybe it was a code word. But there would be something so you knew they were on the inside. Here's the word. The word, the secret means insider knowledge. They have a clear view. They know something that only those on the inside know. And Paul's saying to the church, he says, look, folks, I've learned the secret, the knowledge that only comes from stepping inside of this family called the church. It is, it is not an exclusive club insofar as no one else can join, but what you experience and what you learn can only be learned from within inside this group. He says, I've learned something. Do you notice what he's learned? He says, I have learned the secret of being content. Content. Interestingly enough, many of us are not content because we don't feel like we have enough content in our lives. And we believe that contentment comes from filling up with greater content. But if we don't have enough content, then we are empty and we feel discontent, meaning not enough content. And so we're Empty. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? He says, but I have learned the secret of being content. Now, that's a word we don't use much in the church or in our culture, is it? No. Discontent? We hear that word all the time, don't we? But when was the last time you heard someone, especially after going through a painful season, walk up and you say, how are you doing? They just say, I am so content. When was the last time you bumped into someone in a supermarket or in the lobby and the first phrase when you say, how you doing? They say, content. <laughs> well, you, you'd look at them and go, 
Are you on medication? What's going on? Because it's so foreign to the way we think. But he says, I have learned the secret of being content. Now hear me now. The world sells discontentment. Everything is organized to cause you to crave more and say that you don't have enough. That what you are experiencing, what you have, is insufficient for what you truly need. You don't have enough content in your life, so you are now discontent. Now here's the reality. Paul says, I have learned the secret of contentment. What is that secret? How did he figure this out? Notice the word. He says, I have learned it. I have learned it. Now, this is such an important word because Paul, if you read the scriptures, you realize Paul probably was not naturally a very content person. You get the sense that he was always on the move. He was a type A guy in a plan B world. By the way, do I have any type A personalities? You're going to go, you're going to go, you're going to get things done, and you've got your plan A. I mean, you've just check mark, check mark, check mark, and then someone doesn't line up with your plan A. What does that do to plan A people? It reminds me of the old kids' song. Do you remember the old song, The Gospel Chariot? Any of you remember that? You know, roll the gospel chariot along, roll, 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 roll. You know this one? And I love it. You know, we, we say things like, and if a sinner's in the way, we will stop and pick him up. But then when we get to the devil, if the devil's in the way, we will run right over him. Here's what happens with me, though. As a plan A guy, it's... If a slowpoke's in the way, I will run right over them. And you have a different attitude because someone doesn't line up to your plan A. And Paul says, I'm that way as well. I didn't come by this naturally. I had to learn the secret. I had to practically, intentionally discover something that is not normal to the human condition. And so he says this. Contentment with godliness is great gain. When talking to Timothy, he says it's something you have to work on and work for. And sometimes we forget that godly virtues such as peace, patience, kindness, contentment comes from practice, from working at it. Now here, quick question. How do you practice contentment? Can you sign up for a class at church? You walk by the door. Someone goes, shh, be very quiet. They're practicing contentment in there. Can you go to a seminar on contentment? Is that how? No, no, no. You learn it the same way you learned your multiplication facts, repetition and exposure. It's like the football QB who watches film between games and he sees what worked and what didn't work. He witnesses the past so he can be prepared for the future. So how is it that Paul prepared, planned, learned the secret of contentment. He tells us two things. Number one, he learned the secret through or from others' lives. He learned the secret from others' lives. This is why in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, talking to the young pastor Timothy, says, Timothy, you need to be fully embraced and fully embrace the scriptures because they are God-breathed. They are useful for training, encouraging, equipping, getting you all ready. Be so familiar with the stories of God's past deeds that you are able to be ready in present circumstances. He says you need to know things like the story of Israel as they were being led out of Egyptian slavery before they got to the promised land. They were in the desert. By the way, how many of us know that often we are liberated but there's a season before we get to where God is leading us? That there is a season of 
emptiness. Where God shows up and in those desert places, hear me now, he says, you don't have all the other things to fill you up. You need to realize I'm the one thing that can fill you up. And so he learned it from watching how God showed up over and over and was enough for the people of God. He saw it in the life of King David. Before he was king, he was on the run from the mad king Saul. And God showed up in the wilderness when David was on the run. And God showed up in the wilderness, the empty spaces. I am enough. With the prophet Elijah, who was hungry because of the famine, he is in a desert place. And what does God do? God shows up and feeds him supernaturally by the ravens. God is saying, I I am enough. And even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were in a culture that was completely empty and void of good, God meets them in the hot spot of the furnace and says, I am enough. Paul says, I've learned the secret by watching what God has done that in the empty desert places, God has proven himself over and over and over again. Listen to me, friends. If you want to learn the secret, it's going to begin by witnessing and paying close attention to how God worked in other people's lives. This is why testimony is so important in the church. So many times we are embarrassed And we don't want to share our story, and yet your story may be the one thing that draws someone to the heart of God. God has given you your story as a gift from him to bring wholeness to other people. And it is in witnessing what God has done in your life and in the lives of others that we are able to find contentment. He says, I learned it from others' lives. And then the second thing he says, I learned it through personal experience. See, this is the part I don't like. I love learning contentment by watching what you go through. I just don't want to have to go through it myself. Anyone else in here honest enough to say that? Just give me a little uh uh-huh. Much rather learn it from others, not me. But here's what's interesting. Paul is writing this letter to a church, and the very first experience Paul had in the city of Philippi was not a good experience. He rolls into town. He preaches the gospel with his buddy Silas. The folks there don't like what he says, and so they arrest him, they beat him, they put him in prison. And instead of whining and complaining, oh, I've got that spiritual gift. Anyone else here a whiner and a complainer? Instead of whining and complaining, they worship God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, meets them in that space. And the presence of God cannot be contained by a prison jail. And he blows the doors off the jail and they are set free. He says, listen, I have seen how God, even with a bloodied back in prison, God is enough. The church in Philippi saw in Paul's life what Paul saw in the Old Testament heroes. And he says, I've learned through experience that God really is enough. And that he can be trusted to give you and me enough. Now, this is incredibly difficult in our culture. And I'd say it's doubly difficult because the world says, hey, every advertisement says you are not enough or you don't have enough. And so some of us have bought the line. We're doubly frustrated because we will buy something believing it will fulfill us only to find out it doesn't. So now we have this thing that doesn't fulfill us and we're still hungry for more. And so we are disappointed and we're frustrated by the way things are going. I call this the bigger boat theory. How many of you have heard of the bigger boat theory? Here's how the bigger boat theory goes. You ready? You like to go fishing. So you go to your spouse and you say, sweetheart, I just want to go fishing. 
I love fishing. I just, I just want to get out in the water. It'd be so fun. And all I need, I don't need a big boat. I just need a little bitty boat, little John boat with a little bitty engine, a little bitty fishing rod. I just want a couple hours to myself each week out on the water. That's all I need. And your sweetheart goes, oh, baby, I love you. Because that's what we always hope we hear, right? And so she says, go get yourself a little boat. So you go get yourself a little boat. Now you got a problem. You got a little boat, but you got no way to get the boat to the lake. So you got to go buy yourself a little bitty truck to carry the little bitty boat. But you get your little bitty boat out to the lake. You're on the water. It's a beautiful, great day. You got your rod and your reel. You're ready to go. You don't care if the fish are biting. After all, if you catch any, you got to clean them up. And that's a whole other thing on your checklist for the day. You're just having a good day. Everything is perfect until what? Someone else in a bigger boat goes by. And these are really friendly folk because they're waving at you as they go by, aren't they? And you feel for the first time, you're like, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm not happy. I would be happy, though, if I had a bigger boat. So you go back home to your sweetheart, and you say, sweetheart, I like my little bitty boat, but I'd really like a little bigger boat. She says, okay, so you get a bigger boat, but now you've got to get a bigger truck because your little truck won't carry the big boat. And not only that, you've got to get a bigger garage because your little garage won't fit your bigger boat. And heaven forbid, leaving your boat outside. After all, it might get wet. So the world tells us, if you just have more, then you'll be satisfied. It doesn't just happen on the water. It happens in the sky, doesn't it? I'm going to be on an airplane tomorrow. And I guarantee I will sit there, I'll put my little headphones in, and they're the best headphones in the world, until I sit down and look over at a young lady who has a pair of great noise-canceling headphones. See, mine don't cancel the noise. I'm going to hear the cabin noise. I'm going to hear the engines. I'm going to hear the, this is your captain speaking, and go, I don't care. And I'll be happy until I see someone else who has those better headphones. It happens wherever we go that I'm not content because I don't have enough content in my life. And Paul says it comes from watching what God does and experiencing in your life that he is enough. And the world will try to give you more, but it will never fill the gaping chasm in your life. And here's why. Where does disappointment come from, family? Where where does this need for more come from, would you believe that disappointment is the gift from God? You go, no, how's that possible? Disappointment is a gift from God because it drives you to the one, the only one who can provide contentment. He is the one who gives the content that your heart needs. In fact, this is why. Blaise Pascal made the very famous quote that every one of us has inside of us, a God-shaped void, a God-shaped hole. There's this emptiness that is not simply empty, but it is a sucking hole that will never be filled by any of the trinkets of this world. After all, you know what it's like to try to fill yourself up in an eternal vacuum. And boy, a lot of us have tried to fill ourselves up with all sorts of junk, haven't we? Question, if one more thing will make you happy... Why didn't that last one more thing make you happy? Because it can't. It's not big enough to fill the hole that you have that was only intended to be filled by your creator. This is why Augustine makes the great quote. He says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. God has created the whole 
to drive you to him and there is nothing you will ever find. But here's the truth. The world will say, no, 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 no. You can fill up with something. And God says, no, you can only fill up with someone. That is the secret of contentment. And as long as I claim the name of Jesus but am not filled with him, I can be a Christian who is still discontent. Oh, how the world would look different if Christ followers said, you know, I, I celebrate you, God, for all your good gifts, but I want the gift giver more than the gifts themselves. I have learned the secret that no matter if I have a lot or a little, you are enough. This is why Paul says in the next verse, in verse 13, he says, I can do all this. What is all this? See, a lot of us have that little mug at home and it says, I can do all this, all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we're like, oh yes, I'm a four foot tall guy and I can dunk a basketball because God is going to give me a strength. Eh, good news for you. Unless you use a trampoline or a Fisher Price goal, you ain't going to dunk a basketball just because God says you can do all things. What's the all things? He says, I can do all this What's all this? It is contentment. It is even if I don't have enough. Go to this next slide. When I don't have enough or I feel hungry that God is still enough, what is happening on the inside fills up the lack on the outside. Whether hungry or full, enough or not enough, I am content in every situation. Isn't it interesting? Paul says, I can be content when I'm hungry, but how many of us need to be content when we have what we have? I have more now than I've ever had in my life. Many of you are at the best place you've been or you have the most stuff you've ever had and yet you will find if we're not careful that we still look for more stuff to fill the hole. He says, I have learned this. It is a supernatural promise that God can give me what I need. I can do all this. Be content in all circumstances no matter what happens. And that's why he says in verse 19 to the church, he says, listen, I'm convinced. I am absolutely certain that God, put this up, God, will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The secret of contentment is God in us saying, you fill me, you fill me, whether hungry or full, whether enough or not enough, God fills me what's inside, fills even when I may have this other drive, other needs. God is the one who can and will fill. Because the world will drive you to be hungry all the time. You know, it's interesting, there's a psychologist, Dr. Maslow, who talks about how life and all of our needs come in layers. There's a hierarchy of our needs, and you've got to hit one layer before you can go to the next level, and then the next level. It's called the Maslow hierarchy of need. Many of you have studied this, and you know this, that at the most basic level, he says that every one of us have the fundamental physiological needs. That's to be able to breathe for bread, for water, to be able to eat just to survive. This is survival level. But once we take care of those needs, the next level is going to be for safety, for security, to be protected. And then once we feel protected, he says the next need we all look for is belonging, a community to, to have and to be loved. By the way, that's why it is so painful when you feel snubbed or ignored. And then once we have that community, the next need that we begin to look for, this discontentment we're trying to fill is now for esteem to answer the question, am I good enough Am I valuable? And once we have settled that one, the final one he calls self-actualization, it's I am now achieving what I was created to achieve. 
Every one of these levels is a level of discontentment that drives you to the next, is it not? And that's why what we're about to do now in communion is so important. You understand that during communion, Jesus Christ is actually going to walk you up the layers of your need. He's going to begin by offering you bread. And in this moment, you'll hold the bread in your hand and you'll be reminded of Jesus' words when tempted, when he said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then you'll remember that moment when Jesus said to a hungry crowd, I am the bread of life, bread, the staple of life. He says, I fill you up. And the juice, the wine, the liquid is going to satisfy the thirst of your very soul. And as you hold these emblems, you'll be reminded of the crucifixion of Jesus, that someone had to die for your sin. But that means that now you do not receive the penalty of God for your sins. You are now safe in the arms of God, which means, church, that when you sin in this moment, you can run to Jesus and confess your sins. You can run to him and ask for help because he says, I've already paid the price. You are safe in my arms. And then he says, now look around. You're not alone. When you take this, this is communion, common union with God and with one another. For when you take communion, you are joining the rest of the family of God. You get a home with Jesus. And you say, yeah, but I don't know. Am I worth it? And he says, if you ever wonder about your value before God, just look at the outstretched arms of his son on the cross. You are worth, in God's eyes, his very son. And then he says, as you take this, you will be my living presence in the world. You will live what you've been designed to live, which is why Paul says, I can do all things. I can be who God's called me to be. I can be content in difficult circumstances because of what Christ has done. This is a moment to remind and relearn the secret of contentment. And so he invites us to the table. And before we take this, I need to just pause and I need to speak very, very clearly, friends. I don't know where you are on this hierarchy. Some of you today, you just feel like you can't get your breath. You feel so anxious. You feel so worried. And you need to hold these emblems and know that God, the one who breathed life into humanity at the beginning, says, I will continue to breathe into you. I will fill you. Trust me. Look back to my faithfulness. Hold on to my presence. I will lead you into the future. For others, you need to know that you are secure in his arms. It does not matter what you have done. Have you broken the heart of God with your sin? Yes. But cheer up. Jesus paid the price for you. And you may come to him in security. Some of you are saying, I feel so lonely. Don't don't leave lonely. You find us afterwards. We'd love to connect you because this is a family. I don't know where you are, but whatever your need, the blood of Jesus, the bread of Christ, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus says to you, I will fill you with whatever need you have.